Very good evening to everyone. We give you a warm welcome this evening to this uh, special meeting and uh, welcome to everyone and also for those who will be listening online as we upload this message. Uh, we are uh, glad to have you this evening, but also uh, very particularly to have uh, Reagan King with us this evening. He's a man of many hats and uh, he he, he is a uh, husband to Rachel. Uh, he's also a pastor of the church in Angel Islington in London. Uh, he is uh, author of a book which we have also uh, on the table. And he is a co-host to Revelation TV also. Uh, we were talking about that earlier. And, uh, and also, uh, but he, he comes with a hat this evening of the uh, pregnancy crisis Helpline CEO, and he will be talking to us about this very important topic, uh, which is abortion. And uh, we're glad to have him this evening. And uh, I'd like you to join us here, brother, and uh, lead us uh, this evening. Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone, for your warm welcome and kind invitation uh, to be here once more. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be with us this evening. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to know and to understand what you would have to show us. We're dealing with some weighty matters, matters of great importance, personally, familiarly, communally, and across our nation across this world even. And so we pray that you would help us to think clearly, to see things not through the lens of our own personal experiences or feelings, but through the lens of who you are and who you desire us to be, who you created us to be. I pray that you would enable us to take away what we hear this evening in the power of your Holy Spirit to see it applied in our lives in a way that blesses others. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. This is a very critical passage. Psalm 139. We'll read from verse 13. Maybe we can read it aloud together. Psalm 139 from verse 13 through 16. Let's read it aloud together. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. 
I don't know each and every one of you here this evening. I don't know your circumstance or your situation, how relevant this is to you perhaps personally. So let me just um, say right from the beginning that I'm wanting to approach this through the lens of what is right and true. That is my responsibility. I believe that we can speak in ways that are right and true whilst also speaking with grace and compassion. So right off, I want us to be clear that while we are dealing with some weighty matters that may cause upset, it may cause pain or hurt, there may be memories from the past that come back, my intention is not to dredge up old tragic feelings or griefs. I desire us to come to a place of help and hope. But the very existence of those words, help and hope, means that we often see a lot of helplessness and a lot of hopelessness. And sometimes we have to go through those to get to the help and to get to the hope. So I hope that you understand I'm um, approaching this from that basis. The very first point that I I want us to consider uh, this evening is that life, human life, is from conception. Life is from conception. If you believe that, would you say that with me? Life is from conception. Now, the science of this is inarguable. Um, some people say, well, that the jury is out on when life begins, when life starts. But that's not actually true. Life is scientifically from conception. Former genetics professor at the University of Descartes in Paris um, said, after fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into existence. So from the moment of conception, there is life. Professor um, Matthews Roth of Harvard University Med School says it is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception. So this is basic biology. This is basic science. It, It can be pushed against by pop culture in some degree. People will say, no, life doesn't begin from conception, but then you have to answer the question, when does life begin? People can say, no, life doesn't begin from conception in a meaningful way, but then you have to define meaningful, and you begin to encounter problems. When does the process that has led you to this point in time, right here, right now, when did the process that's brought you here this evening begin? Mm -hmm. It began with conception. Life begins with conception and there's always development. There's always progression. There's always progression to a particular point and then we have to recognize and be clear that there's always a degree of, of regression at some point. We go through um, the, the stages of life from conception, of development and, um, and aging from that moment to a particular point where 
and we may achieve some measure of average health. And then we go through a period where there's a regression, perhaps, of health. We're in a continuum of time wherein we, in our lives, are always developing in one way or another. The interruption of that development is death. That's the only interruption. There's no interruption in your aging process or in the development process apart from death. And death is always a termination of life as we know it, a body and soul. I'll come back to that in just a moment. The science is clear, but beyond the science, we have the scriptures. And I want to be crystal clear in this. The scriptures, the word of God, does not contradict the science. Nor does the science contradict the scriptures. Because science, in its very definition, is knowledge. Now, a lot of what parades as science today is not actually rooted in knowledge. And we know that. We hear of scientific theory, meaning there's an idea of something, but it's not concrete. It's not absolute. So we call it scientific theory. But science comes from the Greek word, the the Greek uh, verb, schizo, which means I know. So we can say on the basis of knowledge, on the basis of true knowledge, that life begins from conception. And the scriptures tell us this. You heard the passage just a moment ago, Psalm 139. Uh, The psalmist here, David, testifies to this reality that God has created his life. You formed my inward parts. Verse 13 says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. In Job, we see similar words. Your hands shaped me and made me. Job 10 verse 8 says. In Ecclesiastes, David's son Solomon writes, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. The prophet Jeremiah writes, he, that is God, did not kill me in the womb, so my mother would have been my grave. Each of these biblical writers acknowledges that life begins from conception. It's scientific, and that science is how God has has made things. It's all rooted in God's grand providential plan. He gives life. And that life is to be valued. Now, we have an issue in our society today. It's around the world. It's not just our society. Uh, The matter of abortion. I want to be clear. Abortion has taken place for millennia. This is not something that is new. This is not something that began with the Abortion Act of 1967 when abortion was made legal in certain circumstances in the United Kingdom or or decriminalized, I should say, in certain circumstances. 
Abortion has existed from ancient days. And we come across writers not just um, biblically dealing with what's viewed as a crime of killing the child in the mother's womb. We we come across writers uh, from ancient histories, from uh, philosophy, debating this issue of abortion. Indeed, the Hippocratic Oath, which is a core part of becoming a medical practitioner. The oaths have been modified and changed to some degree, but the original Hippocratic Oath testifies and pledges not to give an abortive medication to a woman to remove the child whom she is pregnant with. That's in the original Hippocratic Oath. But certainly things have changed because we we do have in our society uh, a law which allows for abortion, I should specify, in certain circumstances. There's a lot of people who believe that abortion is a free-for-all, that there are no regulations in running the pregnancy crisis helpline and in taking some calls myself. I've had women call and they are 24, 25 weeks pregnant. And when I tell them that it would be illegal for them to have an abortion, um, that can come as very difficult news. Uh, In one occasion, the individual became very abusive over the end of the phone. She had actually been given our number by an abortion clinic, which was a bit bizarre in, in and of itself. But um, we, we had to tell her, we had to inform her that she would not be able to access any form of legal abortion in the United Kingdom because she was over the term limit, which is 24 weeks. Across much of Europe, the term limit is actually 12 weeks. In some places it's 14, in some places it's 16. There's only a couple of places, I believe Cyprus is one of them, where it's, um, it's more than 24. I believe it's 28 weeks there. But the abortion law in its substance uh, was meant to be, on the surface, a safeguard. It was presented and it was voted in on this basis that, okay, that there will be some women who will be kept safe by having access to sterile premises, access to uh, professional health care, and this will remove perhaps some of the dangerous backstreet abortions um, that are going on. And so there were some criteria initially drawn up, and today the criteria looks like this. The allowable circumstances include a woman being under 24 weeks where there is risk of mental or physical handicap to herself, the preborn child, or existing children. Um, the second is to prevent grave permanent injury to the physical or mental health of the pregnant woman. The third criteria is that there is a greater risk to the life of the pregnant woman if the pregnancy is continued. And another is that there is substantial risk that the child will suffer from significant physical or mental disability. Additionally, two medical professionals uh, have to assess in good faith that one of these circumstances is present for the abortion to be legal. And they have to sign off on that. An illegal abortion can still lead to uh, imprisonment, though that is 
it almost never happens. It's very, very rare for both the practitioner and the recipient. Uh, while the act was made in Parliament and so is a political and, and legal issue, abortion by and large has been allowed to be regulated almost entirely by various medical entities with little successful legal challenge of any malpractice. In the mainstream media, you can come across reports um, over the years, particularly concerning Mary Stopes, the second leading abortion provider in the United Kingdom, and routine malpractice and lack of professionalism and safety in their service that has been highlighted um, you can simply type in Mary Stopes scandal on Google or Mer Mary Stopes CQC and find that the Care Quality Commission has found um, some grotesque misdemeanors on their part with women speaking of uh, feeling like they're a part of a cattle market culture. That's the expression that one woman used in regards to her treatment at Mary Stopes. Far from caring for women, this is an industry that survives only um, with the uh, presentation of abortion being the only option for women who contact them. British Pregnancy Advisory Service has the mask of being an advisory service for pregnancy, but its leading role is being the number one abortion provider. And if you go on their website, that's pretty much all they talk about. It's not really about advising on how to continue with your pregnancy and or advising on how to have a healthy pregnancy. Most of it's about advising how to end the pregnancy, how to have the abortion. Now, the law in practice is, is fundamentally flawed. I've already indicated that the, the criteria are there. Those are the only legal criteria. And boiling it down, you have to understand it's only if there's severe physical or mental threat that abortion is allowed. We understand that. And yet we have, just in the past year, in 2020, over 200,000 abortions in England and Wales alone. That's excluding Scotland. It's over 210,000 if we include Scotland and now Northern Ireland, which recently um, Westminster imposed regulations on. This is... Clearly, not exactly what one would expect. I mean, are we, are we thinking that over 200,000 women have been threatened physically or in a severe mental way if they continue their pregnancy? Most people will say, well, what about in cases of incest or rape or let's make it incestuous rape? Let's, let's go one further. We could, we could think of the most extreme examples. Think of the extreme examples and do the reading on gov.uk where the statistics are freely available and you will find that all of those extremes that you might be able to think of, they account for far less than 1% of the abortions that are provided. The stats are there. It's, it's not something that is hidden. So you can have those extreme cases that you want to bring up, that you want to think about, that, that can be discussed, but they really distract from the main issue. When we're talking about hundreds, if that, of cases having anything to do with those extremes, 
as opposed to 200 plus thousand. Okay, what, what about those 200 plus thousand? Well, 98% of those are performed under ground C. Ground C being um, that there is uh, a fear of the mental health of the woman if she continues the pregnancy. Okay, so what, what mental health issues can we, could, could we think of there? Well, 99% of that 98% are, are carried out on, on the grounds of undiagnosed mental health reasons, unspecified mental health reasons. Oh, what could that be? Because we're not talking about someone who has extreme struggles with schizophrenia. We're not talking about um, someone who has severe PTSD or uh, anything. We're talking about people who there's no diagnosis of any mental health issue. Last year, we were contacted by a woman. Her story was told on Sky News, eventually um, anonymized. She did give an interview with them, but uh, she contacted us in a state of extreme grief and distress. Her name was Sophie. She was a, uh, she had experience as a nurse and what's more, as a midwife. She worked with a fairly well-known international medical uh, organization and one of the things that she was involved in doing in some environments was giving out, um, they call them period control pills. These are basically abortifacient pills uh, that are given to women in places where abortion remains illegal um, to kind of mask over abortion so that women will not be pregnant in those environments um, and yet the woman called us because she had had an abortion. She did not want to have the abortion. She did not feel like she would have had the abortion had she managed to speak with someone who was not coercive. She had called um, uh, one of the leading abortion providers in the United Kingdom and she, she felt like she was numb in her own mind and in her own thinking and was strong-armed into making um, this decision. Uh, it was the only decision that was discussed with her and before she knew it, she had two pills in her hand at home. You think, hold on, you said two pills in her hand at home. Yes, because of COVID legislation, it has become a norm to send women home with abortion pills or in many cases, and I've had um, colleagues who have worked on a particular project wherein they themselves were able to go through a 15 to 20 minute telephone interview and they received abortion pills in the post. That's how things are being done. It's not safe. It's not sterile. It's not in a medically supervised environment. It's everything that advocates of the 1967 Abortion Act proposed would be covered. It's everything that, it, it, that, that is presented as bad that led to the 1967 Abortion Act. You could say it's gone back to backstreet abortions because it really never was about safety. It never really was about um, ending backstreet abortions. 
The young lady who contacted us wanted desperately to pursue some sort of legal action against the abortion provider, but the system is such that any such action would probably not be very fruitful or accepted. So we're still in talks and a system wherein people are considering, okay, well, what can be done legally to challenge malpractice? She was grieving the loss of her child. I've been contacted by women who are post-abortive, recently had a conversation over the phone with a woman who is pregnant. And this is a difficult pregnancy for her. Um, She's probably going to continue with it. But she, some time back, had an abortion. And she spoke of how she went through a phase of being uh, pregnancy-obsessed was the terminology she used. And she couldn't be around women who were pregnant and she couldn't be around young children because it just kept drawing her mind to the pregnancy that she had, that she ended. And it kept drawing her mind to the desire to have children, the fact that she could have had a child, but she didn't. She's working through all of this in a very PTSD-esque way, still grieving. And it's that grief that is driving her to a place where she is likely to keep this current child, though um, the, 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 the father is not particularly keen on the idea. It's this grief that's causing her to see it's not worth going down that road anymore. The law isn't practiced in the right way. I said up to 24 weeks um, from conception of abortion is legal, but I want you to ask what makes an abortion more moral prior to 24 weeks from conception uh, than an abortion post-24 weeks? Where's the difference? Where, where, where is it moral and where is it not? Why is it 24 weeks? And why in Europe is it only in many places up to 12 weeks? Why is that more moral up to 12 weeks, up to 24 weeks, and it's suddenly seen as not after? Is it because of the child's heartbeat? Tell me, does anyone know when the child's heart starts beating? Any ideas? No. Within 22 days, within 22 days, the, the heartbeat is there. Before the woman generally even knows she's pregnant. Most people contact us having taken a pregnancy test at about four weeks. So before the pregnancy is detectable, in many cases, the child's heart has already started beating. It's not because post-24 weeks, the child's nervous system and other vital organs are forming. That actually takes place from about week three. So the time most women begin to think, oh, I might be pregnant, and from around the time they're actually contacting the Pregnancy Crisis Helpline, the child's nervous system is already forming and, and coming together. Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
That's happening. That's there. That's taking place. It's not because post 24 weeks, the fertilized egg of day one suddenly looks more human. In weeks five to eight, eyes, legs, hands, including fingernails, begin to develop. Brainwaves. Brainwaves are detected. Mouths, lips, these are present from week eight. What does that mean about sense? Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Did you know that in later stage abortions, sedatives are used in many cases? to knock the child out, to put the child to sleep before the surgical procedure takes place. What does that tell you? You use logic. You know what it is. The child is a living, sentient being. Yes, it can feel. It can feel pain. Pre-24 weeks, abortions are not more favorable than post because of the baby's ability to experience pain from 24 weeks on. No, it's week 11. By week 11, its skeletal structure is formed along with almost all of the nerves. From week 12, when the first scan is generally scheduled, from week 12, every part is present that can allow the child to experience pain. Some people are, are born with a condition that says that, that actually they can't feel pain. That's a very, very rare condition. Um, we have to be clear, pain is not what makes the child human. You do understand the implications, however, that this is a living, sentient being. From 20 weeks, the baby in the womb can begin to recognize the mother's voice, if not before. All of this takes place prior to the 24 weeks. That is the term limit for abortion in England and Wales. That's a lot. So by week 11, the child is able to feel. But we continue to abort even to week 24. The real issue is not, though, again... Pain, it's about life. Life is there. Life begins from conception. We already said that. We agreed that at the beginning. But abortion ends the life. Abortion ends the life. It's spoken of as a termination. An ending of pregnancy. There's euphemisms that are used. Abortion, people sometimes call us and they they say, um, can you give us some pills? Old lady the other day, um, her English was broken. She said she didn't want to be pregnant. Could you give me some kill pill or something? That was the terminology she used. Others will say, can, can you give me something to get rid of it? Mm-hmm. And the important question to ask is, 
well, what do you mean? What is it? When you say, could we give you something to get rid of it, what, what are you talking about? Because it's so important that the individual knows they are responsible for what is about to take place or what they are seeking for. Could you get me something to get rid of it? Well, what are you talking about? In the moral case for abortion, and Parady, um, a leading abortion a leading pro-abortion advocate. She's the CEO of BPAS, or was. I think she may have stepped down in the not-too-distant past. She wrote a book, The Moral Case for Abortion, and she writes, this is a quote, that abortion involves a killing. It does involve a killing. This is, this is their side, right? This is supposed to sell you the idea. This is supposed to convince you that abortion is moral. She says, abortion involves a killing in the sense that it stops a beating heart. It does not stop a person from living. What does it stop from living then? Any solutions? If you find it, please tell me. Because I cannot think of what it stops from living apart from a person, a human being. The second point. Life is valuable and filled with purpose. Having established the initial foundation point that life begins from, from conception, we have to move on to this reality that life is not meaningless. It is valuable. It's to be protected. It is filled with purpose. Back to Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you see how David recognizes the value of the life that God has given, just in the, in the very anatomy of the human body, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There's anatomy, there's psychology, all of it go, blending together. It's incredible. Just consider the intricacy, the, the complex nature of the human body and how it works and how, how we see things, how we hear things, how we... Live, move, and have our being. In Job 10, back to that passage, will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. This is Job crying out. He's in a state of pain. He's suffering. You gave me life and showed me kindness and in your providence watched over my spirit. He, he recognizes that God made him before he even entered the world. That He was who he was at the earliest point of development. Before he was born. And he asks that God remember his creation. He asks that God remember that he molded Job like clay. That he formed him. And he asks for mercy. In Acts 17, Paul says that God himself gives everyone life. And breath and everything else. 
So life is valuable and filled with purpose, and that purpose and that value is invested by God. Let me submit to you, there's really no way that we can be pro-life and atheist at the same time. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I, know, that I know some pro-life atheists. And I've sought to communicate to, to one that I find a little inconsistent. I'm glad that she's pro-life. But I believe to be truly pro-life, that entails recognizing what life is and where life comes from. Mm -hmm. Apart from God, there is no morality. Apart from God, there is no right and wrong. Apart from God, there are no absolutes. Mm -hmm. Apart from God, everything is subjective. Apart from God, everything is vanity of vanities. Apart from God, everything is meaningless. I'm sorry to, be, to sound nihilistic and a bit hopeless there, but apart from God, that's pretty much the size of it. But I'm not approaching this apart from God. I'm approaching this with God. I'm approaching this knowing God. I'm approaching this as an absolute truth that is a part of the creation that God has given. He gives life. Who are we to take away what God has given. It's not my body, my choice. It is another body that is developing and growing from the point of conception. That is so important to recognize. Yes, you have bodily autonomy and self-determination and responsibility when it comes to your own body. When it comes to whatever medical procedures that you choose to undertake for your health and well-being. But when it comes to abortion, you are not dealing with your body. You are dealing with another body. You're dealing with somebody else. Your child. And Verady, the abortionist that I spoke of a moment ago, she recognizes that. She recognizes, and the reason that she speaks so bluntly in her case for abortion is that she says there's no use trying to hide it or gloss over it. It is a killing. From an abortionist's own words. Remember, that, and this is not just someone wacky who you can find in the outer rim of the, the internet. This is a CEO of the leading abortion service in Great Britain. This is someone who has been vested with responsibility to advise women on their pregnancies. In the Huffington Post, she spoke similarly. She said, abortion may be an act of killing, but it kills a being that has no sense of life or death and no awareness of itself as distinct from others. At some point, we all begin to remember things. And at some point, we all begin to forget things. That's life. But life and its value is not determined by whether or not we remember or forget. Life is. It is a gift of God and it is valuable at any stage. I have a son who turns one year old in about two weeks. And 
while I will never forget this first year, I say that, I might, I might forget at some point. I said we all forget at some point. I might forget certain elements. I have pictures, I have videos. And, but he's not going to remember anything from this first year, is he? I don't remember anything from when I was one. I, I have maybe the faintest of memories from late two, early three, the faintest of memories. How much those are memories on the basis of videos or pictures that I've been shown, I, I don't know. Vivid memories from the age of four, but not of every day, only of big events. Does my son's lack of awareness not really having awareness of himself as distinct, perhaps, from others, diminish the importance or value of his life? No. And yet, and Friday, Vest's life is, is, is being something you can take it if there's no awareness of being distinct from others, if there's no sense of life or death. My son doesn't have a concept of death yet. At some point he will. He doesn't have a concept of it. He doesn't know what what it is. To be fair, he probably doesn't have much of a concept of life. It's just he's in the moment. He's chuckling away to himself. He's laughing. He, He knows what it is to be, but he doesn't know where he came from. Does he? He's developing. And that development began from conception. As is going with, with my second child, who's uh, only about four, five, four or five months in development, in process. The stage is already there. Kicks are already happening. And yet I take calls from women who they can feel the child kick. And they still want an abortion. Because they've been sold the lie that, no, no, no. No, it's, it's not yet a baby. It's not yet a baby. What is it then? Throughout church history, we see believers recognize the evil of abortion. And I use that word deliberately. It is an evil. It's not good. And most of the women who call Pregnancy Crisis Helpline recognize it's not good either. They may still choose to have it. They think it might be best for them in their circumstance, but they, in many cases, don't really want to have an abortion. They feel like it's the only option. We'll come to that in a moment. The early church, the, um, some writings from the early church, the Didache, which was a, uh, a very important early church document, contain writings that speak very clearly of the life of the unborn child. The reformers, um, people like John Calvin, have spoken on the value of human life from conception. In a commentary on um, Exodus 21, verse 22, Calvin said, If men strive and hurt a woman, um, is the passage in 
Exodus 21-22. The passage at first sight is ambiguous for if the word death only applies to the pregnant woman, so the woman has, has died as a result of, um, of some other person's activity, it, if the word death only applies to the pregnant woman, it would not have been a capital crime to put an end to the fetus, which would be a great absurdity. For the fetus, though enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being. And it is almost a monstrous crime to rob it of the life which it has not yet begun to enjoy. If it seems more horrible to kill a man in his own house than in a field, because a man's house is his place of most secure refuge, it ought surely to be deemed more atrocious to destroy a fetus in the womb before it has come to light. On these grounds, I am led to conclude without hesitation that the words, if death should follow, must be applied to the fetus as well as to the mother. Okay, now you, you might think, oh, hold on. Well, Calvin's using the word fetus. He's not using the word child. Personally, I, I have no problem with the word fetus. Why? Because it's simply the Latin for offspring or small child. Do you see how we live in a world which seeks to euphemize things by using foreign languages, right? Fetus, Latin. Yeah, let's use that so we're not communicating with the woman who's coming to us for the abortion that this is a child. This is a small child. So I've had people on the phone say, well, it's, um, it's not really yet a baby, is it? It's a, it's a, it's a fetus, isn't it? Well, yes, it's a fetus, but do you know what fetus means? It's just a fancy word for child. It's, it is a child. Life is from conception. Life is valuable and filled with purpose. The Bible gives examples, further explanations uh, that show unborn life is valuable because... The child has been uniquely created by God. We can see in the story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis 25, verse 22 through 24, recognition of life before birth. The text says, The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, and two nations are in your womb, and the two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. So, already before birth, two boys, you know the names, Jacob and Esau. Two nations will come from them, filled with purpose. Israel and Edom. Purpose that is given by God. Valuable. From before birth. John the Baptist. Luke 1.15. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And it was said when Mary went to visit. The baby John the Baptist leaped within her. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
you realize Mary's situation. A young woman, pregnant, betrothed, but not yet married. She was not supposed to be pregnant. It was not something that was accepted. A crisis pregnancy. You can imagine people thinking, oh, maybe one of the Roman soldiers raped her. That was common. You can think of others, well, Mary and Joseph were betrothed and, you know, Joseph and Mary, they've come up with this story that this child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. But we all know Joseph and Mary, they just, they just couldn't wait. Joseph wasn't patient. They couldn't wait till their wedding. All manner of things. You, you, look, things haven't changed in the world. The gossip that we have now was going on then. Mm-hmm. You know that. It would have been difficult. And yet it was all part of God's plan. Paul, God set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Galatians 1.15 So life is from conception and all life is valuable and filled with purpose and it's valuable and filled with purpose because God has given it. One of the things that is great to be able to communicate to some of the women who call Pregnancy Crisis Helpline is that their situation may very well be rotten. There may be a lot of negatives in their situation, but actually the child may be the one redeeming feature of a very bad situation. It's always a joy to open my inbox and occasionally be surprised with a photograph from a woman who I spoke with, one of our volunteers spoke with months before, who chose to keep her child and to see a picture of the baby. There's not really a feeling like it. As we begin to conclude, I want to indicate there is hope and there is help out of abortion. The legal side, okay, that is as it is. And I pray for and I campaign for and want to be involved with others in supporting uh, a change in the legislation. But at the end of the day, abortion will continue as it has before legislation was there. And so the need for help of men and women who come into a pregnancy crisis situation is still going to be necessary. The problems don't go away because we're in a world where all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We're in a world filled with corruption. We're in a world filled with hurt and pain and chaos. We're in a world that's filled with all manner of wickedness. We're in a world filled with unideal situations where people go out and get drunk or maybe get drugged and they wake up somewhere else the next day and four weeks down the line find out they're pregnant. We live in that world. Nothing will change that until Jesus comes again and recreates this world. Here and now, though, there is hope and help out of abortion. I read earlier some, a very, very helpful line, and I, I wrote it down. The issue is the harm in abortion, and the greatest harm is not to the body, 
of the victim, but to the soul of the perpetrator. Yes, it's true. The child will will be gone in a moment, as we will at some point be gone in a moment. But then the women, and sometimes the men who are involved in the situation, are left to pick up the pieces. And I mean that sometimes literally. We have had calls from women who have had these pills and have not fully realized what abortion is. I've had people crying, sobbing on the end of the phone saying, if I knew it was like that, if I knew that it would look like a baby, I would not have done this. And at home, they have a forced miscarriage, basically. And they see, in many cases, what euphemistically the industry calls products of conception. In the toilet or on the floor. I'm sorry to be graphic, but that's, that's the reality of it. There is hope and help out of abortion. There is help for those who may feel that's the only way out of a very bad situation. And there is hope and help for those who have had an abortion. There can be redemption. At Pregnancy Crisis Helpline, we have had the privilege of helping numerous people. This is um, one young lady who's 19 years old, pregnant by her then fiancé. Uh, her mother and stepfather were pressuring her to have an abortion. I'll never forget the messages that she sent to our live chat of desperation, wanting to keep her child, but her own mother had booked the abortion appointment. It was coercive. It was nothing less than evil. She said, I cannot do this to my child. Unfortunately, she did go to the abortion clinic after a week of discussion after a week of trying to help after a week of trying to sort things out and provide shelter and maybe even meet with the family to go through things. She sent a message saying, I went to the abortion clinic. I I feel like this is the only thing I can do. Please pray for me. Please pray that God will forgive me. Those were her words. I was very upset, not with her, uh, more with you know, her family, but also I, I, was, I was praying because I believed prayers had been answered and this seemed to be a complete reversal of the prayer that I thought was answered previously. So I began to pray very fervently in uh, the church building in Angel Islington, where I am, and prayed that something would intervene prayed that I, she was not very clear on how long she, she was. Was it going to be a surgical abortion? Potentially could have been. I was feeling it would be earlier, so more likely medical abortion. But she was going to the clinic. So I, I was praying, whatever it is, if it's surgical, help, the, the equipment, electricity blackout or something to keep it from happening, just... Buy some more time to get through to her and help her. She sent another series of messages 
hey, Reagan, I went to the abortion clinic and it was one of those, she, she sent it. It was just line by line. Hi, Reagan, send. I went to the abortion clinic, send. I didn't have the abortion. The only woman who could prescribe the pills had called in sick. Emilio, he said, um, in his words, there's a video, I, I can pass it on to Kevin and he can send it to you. It, it doesn't always work on the screen, so I didn't include it. Um, Emilio sent a very angry and aggressive email to Pregnancy Crisis Helpline. It was angry and aggressive because his child had just been aborted. He was in what he thought was a good relationship and one day after having chosen to have the child, after even having selected the name with his then partner, she chose to avoid the child. And he was grieving. He lost his child, he lost his partner and he was on the verge of losing his life. In the video, if you watch it, you'll see he, he believes that we saved his life. And I think that that's probably what happened. He was told by everyone he spoke to, it's her choice. It's her choice. Just leave it. Forget it. It's, it doesn't matter. It was his child. He told his then partner, no, I, someone here has to stand up and say something because there's someone in this room that cannot speak. Emilio is not responsible for the death of his child. Deliana had no one to go to who would help save her child. Emilio had no one he could talk to who would understand the loss of his child and help him save his life. Deliana contacted us, as I said, and we were able to help her. Ultimately, God helped her. He's the one who kept Angelina alive. And now she's married. And both she and her husband are able to live free from the pain of that abortion. Emilio, you saved my life. He was depressed, angry, despairing. We simply listened to him. We told him he was not alone. And I met with him regularly and talked with him. Do to have um, dinner with him next week after two or three years of knowing him. And now we, we've moved on from talking about this to talking about the gospel, what he believes. I believe he's very close to the kingdom. Please pray for him. Please pray that he would come to know Jesus as his savior, as his Redeemer and Lord. It's contacted from Malta. We don't turn away anyone. Our remit is England and Wales, but if someone contacts us and they're in a crisis, what do we do? Oh, well, we don't cover your territory. No, we, we listen to them. We go through the same with them. And um, this, this young lady actually came with a friend who initially contacted us who was dealing with a rather bizarre situation. I didn't know that her friend might have 
gotten more out of the session than, than she did. We received this message. I go to therapy myself and I've never found a session to be as effective as the one we had with you. We seek to empower women to have responsibility. We do not tell them what to do. We, sh- we do not tell them how to think, uh, what to think. We try and show them how to think through the situation that's there. We ask questions. We have a question bank that all of our volunteers are trained um, to use, which um, are, are geared at helping the caller think through the crisis that they're in, separating the pain that's on the periphery of the pregnancy from the identity of the child itself. The situations we encounter are undeniably messed up and undeniably tragic in many cases. But nothing will be fixed by ending the child's life. Nothing will deal with this pain by adding more pain. In this case, a double negative doesn't equal a positive. There was one lady who contacted and she was in a very difficult relationship situation. Um, both she and her partner were not particularly treating one another well or rightly. She acknowledged this and was looking for an abortion. She was located in Nigeria. Uh, the laws there are, are fairly uh, fluid in, in one way, but the maternal death rate when it comes to abortion is not great. So after doing some research and informing her a little bit on the situation that was happening in Nigeria, um, I spoke with her and said, look, this isn't, this isn't going to deal with the relationship struggle. You're trying to deal with the relationship by dealing with the child. She chose to keep the child. We, in God's providence, knew someone in the exact city that she was living were able to refer her to this man and his wife and um, he sent me this message. I met the lady you referred to me in February, in January, I need new glasses, um, at her residence. She's full of joy for getting in touch with you and for the decision to keep a child. A baby boy has been born. This is life-saving impact they moved to a new city to begin a new life this woman and her partner who then as my friend informed me had had manned up had they'd actually gotten married and they were living in a much healthier relationship having undergone some counseling first year we had over 1,000 calls. That's nothing compared to 200,000 abortions that are taking place every year, averaging about 500 abortions taking place a day in England and Wales. We have been growing this initiative since our first year in 2018, and we've seen it gain more and more effect, but we're only scratching the surface. We need more people answering calls. We need more people um, 
working as ambassadors on our helpline's behalf. We need more people um, involved in the skilled listening process, which can be one call, it can be multiple calls. We need people who have uh, giftings in um, being able to advise on a range of social care services. We need people who have managerial skills. We need people who are able to actively undertake the cause of unborn children through caring compassionately for the parents who contact us. And, and so on the basis of what we've looked at this evening, I, I just want to leave you with these passages. Proverbs 24, 11 says, rescue those being led away to death. This is a rescue mission. Defend the cause of the weak, Psalm 82, verse 3 says. You will not find any weaker than the unborn child. You will not find any more vulnerable than the developing baby in the mother's womb. Without a voice, in many people's view, without any purpose, an inconvenience, an annoyance, a bad memory. We need people to stand with us in defending this cause. We need people to stand with us in recognizing the uh, immense pain that abortion causes the women who, who undergo it. I said we have a large number of women who call us who are post-abortive. Indeed, around the world, um, the, the standard is 40 to 50 million abortions taking place every year. The population of Spain. Think of all of the potential, the purpose. It's just lost there. Technicians, biologists, theologians, cancer doctors and researchers, surgeons, civil servants, ordinary members of healthy society. Just lost. Lost. Termination is a word that I don't particularly like because I don't think it actually describes death very well. Termination is not what happens really when we die. Termination is a, an end point, and there is an end point in the sense that that child will never be able to live the life as we know it, but I have confidence that... Um, that Different people have different perspectives on the biblical teaching of this, but I have the confidence that those children are in the presence of the Lord. I believe that very firmly. The scriptures speak of New Jerusalem being filled with the sound and voice of children playing and laughing. Perhaps some of those are children who were aborted. I believe that their life is much better in many ways, yes, than if they were allowed to come into this world. Though I don't believe that that absolves anyone of the responsibility of ending that child's life. 
I believe that those children are worshiping their creator. They're ahead of us in knowing that peace. And yet you and I have the responsibility to care for and to defend the cause that God has given of life, which is, he has created for this world, not just for the world to come. Their life, yes, continues in eternity. Ours does here as well. Ours continues here, and, and termination will eventually, if we use it that way, if we use that word, occur for each of us in this life. But life doesn't ever really end, it continues. For those of us who are in Christ, it's a continuum of, of life growing, developing, recognizing eventually our sin and our fallenness and our own culpability in this messed up world, recognizing that there is salvation in Jesus Christ, turning to him in repentance and faith, knowing that one day though we die, yet we shall live because death itself will be defeated and we will live in a new heaven and new earth where only righteousness dwells. Because death is not really the end. It's the beginning of life as, as it really was meant to be. That's the hope for those who have been hurt by abortion. That God forgives all who call upon him. That God heals the brokenhearted. And that's the same hope that is there for women who think that maybe abortion is the only solution. That God is there, that he cares, and that he can deliver. So I pray that you'll take these things to heart and that you'll consider ways in which you might be able to help and ways in which you might be able to serve this initiative that is Pregnancy Crisis Helpline in prayer or through any other practical means through joining our volunteer team, whatever it is that God lays on your heart and your mind. Regardless, life is from conception. It is valuable and filled with purpose. And though there is the sad reality of abortion, there is hope and help that is out there. And you can be a conduit through which that hope and help is shared. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless each and every one who's here. I don't know the personal situations. There may be someone here, one in four women um, in this nation have had an abortion. That's the statistic, one in four women. There may be someone here who at some point in time had an abortion. May they know your healing. May they know your grace. May they know your mercy and love. May they know salvation in Christ Jesus. We all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Forgive us and help us to walk in your way. There may be someone here who is very close to a person who has had an abortion or maybe who is considering having an abortion. At some point in time, we all will be faced with that. Give us the right words to communicate the good news that is in Jesus Christ. Abortion is bad news 
always. It discriminates in so many ways. We have people who abort based on the sex of their child. Is it a boy or is it a girl? We have people who abort based on abnormalities or chromosomal and perceived deficiencies, Down syndrome and the like. Father, forgive us. May we not take part in this, this evil. And may we encourage others away from it. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. I do have um, a handful of, of these brochures that tell you a bit more about who we are and how you can support. Um, tells a little bit about our team, and I'll put those just at the back. Do, do make yourself, um, do grab one of these as you leave. Thank you all.